to episode eight of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and action. I am Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. And with us on the ones and twos, Noah Gray, producer. I don't know how I feel about that, but hi. I don't, I don't actually know what that means. I just hear other podcasts say that when they talk about the producers. So I thought I'd try it out, <laughs> see how it feels. So legit now. I'll take it, I guess. It's fine. Today, well, I guess first of all, we should acknowledge it's been a while since the three of us it have has. been around the podcast table nice together. nice to be back together. Our yeah. Nice little half moon podcast table. It's a very small mm-hmm. table. Very mm-hmm. small table. Makes a lot of noise. But it's good to be here with you guys. <laughs> Um, today, we're going to talk about some change, how we feel about change, what we like about it, what we don't like about it. Um, but before we get into, you know, a difficult conversation for some people, maybe <laughs> we're going to we're going to keep it light. We're going to start it off. Ben's got a great question for us. Yes. Well, in honor of the topic and theme of today, which is change, I'd be curious to know what is a significant change or shift in your guys's current clothing and apparel style today from say 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I'm sure I was wearing like ocean Pacific and guess 20 years ago, Nice, (laughs) but there are some pictures of me with a mullet at one point when I was a child. Um, there was a mullet to see that. Oh, I can pull it up. Was the mullet your choice or a parental choice? So I get some interesting responses when I ask that <laughs> question. They're usually like, you begged for that. Like, I was four. <laughs> I begged for a lot of things I, be- I shouldn't have done. Why did you? That's fine that I begged for it. Why That's did you want me to I also begged for a trampoline, but I guess that <laughs> right. wasn't. Uh, when I was probably like 15 I think I wore lots of graphic tees, mm-hmm. lots of polos. Did you pop the collar? I didn't. I wasn't that cool. Lots of undershirts, like lots of white undershirts where you could see like the, <laughs> the shirt sleeve yeah, coming you, out of the other sleeve. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Like some sort of like spiky hair. Yep. Spiky hair. Frosted tips or no frosted tips? Not at, I mean, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> did at one point have, have frosted tips once (laughs) (laughs) i definitely rocked the frosted tips (laughs) 20 years ago i was the uh like cargo shorts graphic tee and shell necklace um i i had the hemp necklace or the baseball like you know how they would take the baseball skin off of the ball and roll it into a necklace type thing that was a thing that was a new one for me yeah no that was Upper Midwest is where that that was a thing. So, um, yeah, and then I definitely rocked the frosted tips for a long time. In fact, I think I have them in my wedding photos. I think I was that committed to it. So, yeah, really into that look for you. Yep. I think I've only seen like black and white photos that you've posted on Instagram from that's why we've changed (laughs) all the black and white so that you can't tell. That makes sense now. Yeah. When I was a teenager, I was uh, really into the idea that I wanted to be different mm-hmm. from, Imagine from everybody. That. No way. <laughs> How's that changed in your early 30s? <laughs> okay, well, the way I chose to be different was I um, like really discovered and embraced thrifting mm. um, and chose just the weirdest things I could find mm-hmm. at you know our local great thrift stores. I did a lot of how many different kinds of patterns can I wear at once? Mm. Um, cool. Did a lot of button-up shirts under graphic tees with ironic mm. slogans, kind um, of thing. Very Avril Lavigne. <laughs> I I would have hated that comparison, but yes, kind of. Right. I did right. have a I did have <laughs> right. a tie that I wore with a polo shirt. So it's exactly what you were going for, and also not. <laughs> and also, you were going she was for. a poser, you know. So I couldn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was I was legit. I was punk sure. rock. Uh, so, yeah. Sure. so yeah. Cool. 
Perspectives Unsettled exists to challenge people. It's literally in our name. We want to unsettle what is in stagnant. We want to challenge assumptions about faith and push people into taking Christianity seriously. What does it actually teach? Do we believe it or not? Being challenged is uncomfortable, and no one likes to go out of their way to make themselves intentionally uncomfortable. What is important? Being challenged enables us to examine our beliefs, our actions, our opinions, and reconcile them with scripture and truth. It's the only way to reveal our assumptions, and it begins the process of repentance and change. Unfortunately, change is very hard. We tend to really like how we think. And as difficult as it is to humble ourselves and become open to challenges on our assumptions, it's infinitely harder to accept when we're wrong and need to make changes. And when our opinions, our habits, our actions become our identity, changing our minds about something becomes a much, much bigger deal. So how do we challenge ourselves in an honest and healthy way? What does it take to shift from being challenged to changing? And what makes that so hard? And how do our opinions and beliefs and experiences mix with our concept of identity and who God says we are? Coming from our episode last month where we talked to our friend Carlos Serrano about race and missions and all of the discomfort that comes um, with all those topics, this felt a really natural progression of how we can continue that conversation. This idea that we don't even know what our assumptions are. And a lot of times we don't examine what our beliefs about the world is until somebody says, hey, you're wrong or you don't realize that my experience conflicts with your experience. And hearing from him, I think Carlo is a a really great teacher. Um, And so it was great to hear him take the time and patience to kind of walk through some of these basic ideas that as a white person who is relatively aware and, you know, I work in a missions organization, I kind of have more conversations than the average person about cultural uh, beliefs and assumptions and stuff. But being able to be walked through like very gently and kindly, uh, but firmly like, hey, this is this is stuff that happens to me. This is uh, how things affect me in a different way that you don't understand. Yeah, I think to your point, Emily, what I appreciated about the the Carlo conversation that we had in our last podcast was not only that I think the content was that he gave us was really good, but even just like the spirit of the conversation and how the conversation took place, I feel like reflected an important aspect and, and it really brought out the reality that we do, we breathe our own exhaust, like we don't even realize how much we are seeped in ourselves and our own assumptions, like you were saying, and how important it is. What I what I liked about the conversation with Carlo, among other things, is just how important it is to have people in our lives who are helping us realize and helping op- helping us open our eyes to the things that maybe we wouldn't realize on our own, and and to help point out like, hey, you. This is where you are. You're breathing your own exhaust in in this realm of life. You know, certainly uh, in that case, it was the realm of race, but that that's true in just about every realm. It's so easy for us to get so caught up Mm -hmm. in things that we don't even know we're caught up in, you know, and to have people like Carlo and and other meaningful relationships who call things out. um, I that's what I appreciated about the conversation was not just the content itself. Um, but just how it created that space and that that environment of sort of waking we wake we have others wake us up to certain yeah. realities. I mean, it's it's the definition of edification. Yeah, you know, it's instructing in order to educate and to make someone better or help them help them achieve something better yeah. spiritually or morally or relationally. That's what edification is all all about mm-hmm. you have to have people who are willing to go there yep. and the willing to step in that with you and you have to be willing to hear when your preconceptions and and ideas and opinions are uh either misinformed or uninformed or missing the point mm-hmm. um and be able to accept that challenge and that criticism and that mm-hmm. critique with with grace and understanding and look at it not from your perspective, but from somebody else's. 
And the the conversation about race, I think, really illustrates the the intense discomfort most people really feel when stuff like that happens because it's it's easy to sit around and talk about how it's it's great to be pushed and it's great to be like challenged and questioned. But especially now, um, with everything that's been happening in in our culture, the conversation about race and racism, people's defenses go up really quickly and really strongly. And that betrays this like deep emotional resistance we have towards being challenged, being pushed back. There are people I know personally in my life who I've talked about this podcast with. And whenever they're saying, yeah, our next episode, we're talking about race and missions. They literally said, I'm going to not listen to that one mm. just because they either knew the kind of thing I'd say and disagreed with me or they didn't want to be challenged in that way or Mm. they thought I'm not part of the problem I don't have to participate in that conversation just completely closed off to the idea that you need to hear something like this Mm. every once in a while or probably more than every once in a while if you're the kind Mm. of person that's like resistant to it Mm -hmm. yeah like a lot of people have been reading white fragility and and the author she at the very beginning in the first chapter she kind of you know confronts the, the fact that as white people, we are kind of, we're always confronted with the idea that we're the default. Mm. But she she also says this, and it relates a bit to what you were saying about not being a part of the problem, feeling like you're not part of the problem uh, because I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not, mm-hmm. not part of this problem. Interrupting the forces of racism is ongoing lifelong work because the forces conditioning us into racist frameworks are always at play. Our learning will never be finished, yet our simplistic definition of racism as intentional acts of racial discrimination committed by immoral individuals, it engenders a confidence that we are not part of the problem and that our learning is thus complete. The claims we offer up as evidence are impossible. For example, perhaps you've heard someone say, I was taught to treat everyone the same, or people just need to be taught to respect one another, and that begins in the home. These statements tend to end the discussion and the learning that could come from sustained engagement. Further, they are unconvincing to most people of color and only invalidate their experiences. And it reminds me a lot of some of what Carlo was saying in in one point, specifically talks about the great gaslighting in America is that white people are trying to convince black people that the experiences they have had aren't real. And I think when we take racism as a definition of something just a person is, and it, again, I think this is the point Carlo made as well. Rather than actions that people can do, it becomes a, a much more difficult conversation because mm-hmm. it's like you can't tell me that I'm racist, that I'm, you know, this terrible thing. This is like I'm a good person. I, I do good things. I go to church or I love my family. And you just, we conflate these ideas of our identity with things that we do. And then it's not just a conversation about, you know, one thing that I did once being challenged or or a belief that I held. It's who I am as a person that's being attacked um, when that's not what the conversation really is. I think, too, as you think about, like, why why do we have such a hard time being pushed or challenged? Why do we have a hard time being open to change with our, our thinking or our behaviors Certainly there's a lot of reasons, but just two that come to mind in the realm of the conversation about race, but really just even more broadly than that, as I think about certain, you know, other, other cultural conversations or theological conversations, um, you know, two thoughts that come to mind in terms of, at least for me, what make it can be unnerving is the first, it would be what if I realize in the course of this conversation that not only is the world broken, like what if it changes from the world is broken to then realizing, oh, what? but wait, I'm part mm-hmm. of that brokenness. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to admit to that. You know, like I don't want to admit to it's safer when I can say, well, that over there is broken. That's safer than saying, actually, I'm contributing to the brokenness. And yeah. and that's not that's not just relegated to the issue of race either. You know, there's other things as well where it's like, it's easy to talk about a conversation or have a really strong opinion when you can, when you can remove the brokenness from yourself. But as Mm -hmm. soon as the light turns back on you from, from a conversation or 
or some other experience, that's when it gets unnerving is when you begin to realize, oh, but what are the ways that I'm actually part of the brokenness? Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other thing is just the ability to like, I mean, the classic, like the ability to control, you know, the ability to feel in control of, well, if as long as I'm right about this certain belief, and maybe I'm speaking even more in the theological realm now, or at least thinking of more examples in my head in the theological realm. Like if I, as long as I'm right, or I at least think I'm right or feel that I'm right, I feel like I have more control Mm -hmm. or I feel like life is in more control. But when somebody has a strong, rational, well laid out reason why I might be wrong, that, that can be, unnerving unsettling and Mm -hmm. and make me feel like i'm losing control Mm -hmm. um and so just thinking about this question what makes it so hard for us to engage in conversation that actually pushes us i like how you said it earlier like yeah that sounds cool and cute and you know yeah Mm -hmm. i like being pushed and challenged but actually do we really because sometimes it means we're confronted with our own personal brokenness yeah and sometimes Mm -hmm. it means we realize how little control we actually have. It's interesting to think about it from a church world perspective. And we talk a lot about, or at least in my my earlier years of being in a different sort of Christian organization, um, talk, they would talk a lot about sin and sin mm-hmm. issues. And you sort of get conditioned at some point to be comfortable confronting, it's not always easy, but confronting mm-hmm. your own sin or... Um, or the sin that that group decides that they want to make kind of an example out of. Um, But that's a very internal thing. That's a me sinning against God. Mm -hmm. This is a very Mm -hmm. kind of one-on-one thing. And if you take that sort of framework of being confronted with something that's, that's broken that's, e- that's actually easier for me to to deal with because mm-hmm. I'm the only one that it affects. It affects me right. and it affects my relationship with God. And people can make arguments that by, pro- by proxy it might affect relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. But this issue in, in particular, and, and there are others, certainly there are others, but this confronts um, or confronting this to myself makes me have to look at it as like, this is an issue that affects other people mm-hmm. way more than it affects me. Me, you know, playing into racist stereotypes or racist systems or any uh, anything else, like that only affects other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only, but it it has a much more negative effect on other people than it mm-hmm. does me. And in, in a lot of ways, that's why when we talk about systemic racism, in a lot of ways, it it affects me in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Upholding these systems affects me positively because I'm white. Um, and so I think it it's a lot harder because we have to agree that my actions and my beliefs in upholding these systems is damaging a, countless other people, and I'm playing a part in that. Mm-hmm. And that's just hard to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. I'm hurting other people. It's mm-hmm. hard to wrap your head around more so than I'm damaging my relationship with the mm-hmm. divine or, or I'm damaging something within myself. Um, mm-hmm. You have to really confront like, Oh, this is something I'm doing to other people mm-hmm. in a way. And that's just not work that we're conditioned to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even as I, I was putting together kind of like, the notes and outline for what we're going to talk about for this episode, things I think would be interesting, things I just want to talk about. And then later, like and last night or something, I was thinking and I realized that every single thing I'd put in this outline was talking about me being challenged mm. internally and mm. zero things about me challenging other people mm. or even like being challenged on on kind of stuff like you were saying on on broader less yeah. personal less mm-hmm. introspective kinds of things yeah and I think I think part of that is just like who I am as a person and what mm-hmm. I'm comfortable yeah. with and interested in but maybe reflective overall of when it comes to like doing things and and being in a relationship with other people whether that is making amends or learning or 
being opened and challenged and pushed back on with our friends and with mm-hmm. our communities. And when it comes to our responsibility to push other people mm-hmm. when they need to be pushed, that is already hard <laughs> to, yeah. to be challenged and open. And that aspect makes it harder, yeah. which means it's probably good. good. Why do <laughs> you, why do you think, I'm just curious. Um, I mean, I have my thoughts to this, but I'd be curious to hear why do you think it's hard? We've talked a little bit about why it's hard to receive challenging. Why is it hard to be the challenger? Like, why is it hard to push, push each other? Does that mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think for similar reasons, depending on who you are, mm-hmm. but I think to some degree it's, it's similar being challenged means having to confront something on your own, like, Mm -hmm. and somebody's bringing that to you and that can be embarrassing and demeaning and you can get defensive. You can feel like you're being attacked. Mm -hmm. The same thing can happen the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I think acting as the challenger, you know that you're, you could walk up against somebody getting defensive Mm -hmm. start attacking you, them feeling attacked. Um, and turning to to turn the tables on you, embarrassing them. Mm-hmm. None of that stuff is fun. Right. And it's easier to just sort of walk away from it and be like, ah, that person's right. just mm-hmm. messed up thinking whatever. Mm-hmm. And and that's just not the way to go, to go about it. But neither is coming in guns blazing. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be able to walk into those situations with an immense amount of grace, mm-hmm. knowing that they may not receive it well. And I mean, I think all of us have, have dealt with that in different situations. I mean, I've dealt with it recently (laughs) and it's not, it's not fun. It's not easy. People do get defensive. Mm -hmm. They do get angry. Not everybody. And it's those experiences that you have that if you have one bad experience, you might shy away from it the next time. And because you shy away from it the next time, you, you may shy away from it again because Mm -hmm well, you just ignored the problem and it went away on its own. Yeah, yeah I was right to not even try. So, right. right. yeah, I think for me, I, I've always thought of myself as extremely non-confrontational. Mm. Um, mostly because like, I just, I cry when I get angry. <laughs> so I don't want to. <laughs> um, yeah, so... My my default is, I mean, I was with a group of people the other day and someone said something I super disagreed with mm. and I thought they were just wrong in almost every way. And my response was like, I rolled my eyes and I was like, whatever, you know, like I'll just deal with it. And so, and it's, it's kind of hard because I think in a lot of ways, Christian culture um, praises that kind of like, mm. you know, forgiveness, grace, like mm-hmm. we'll all just get along, we'll be kind. And maybe also that's like how, you know, women are kind of told to behave, to be like passive, to be accommodating. Like you have your opinion and I won't push back because I'm not going to be aggressive and I'm not going to like come out guns blazing. Um, But and then thinking later as I was talking about it with other people, because of course (laughs) that's I guess that's my um, that's my system. Um, It's just like I I, I could have maybe made some change and probably not, honestly, like this person's super opinionated. I'm mm-hmm. super opinionated, like, but in the moment, it's like, it's going to be a big thing and we're all going to get derailed and I'm going to be like uh, judged for how I feel and how I think I'm going to have to defend everything. I don't know if I'm like ready. What mm-hmm. happens to um, getting the log out of my own eye before I can tell someone else about the speck in theirs, <laughs> like all this kind of Christian-y mm-hmm. um, teachings that aren't wrong or bad, but maybe misplaced. Misapplied, yeah. 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 The, it's a good point about the way women are told and conditioned to act. And that, I imagine for you, is a, it's not a barrier that I have. So I imagine for you, that is that does weigh. Ben has a personality where he could challenge. This isn't a bad thing about mm-hmm. you, but you have a personality that you could challenge somebody on something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And people would admire you for it. Mm-hmm. But if a, a woman has that same personality, mm-hmm. then she's labeled as something completely different. Right. You're a leader and you're strong and assertive. you're assertive. And yeah. 
Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's very true. And so I, and I, as you two know, I'm married to a very um, <laughs> strong, assertive. strong, assertive, <laughs> outspoken woman. And I mean that in the most positive yeah. uses of those terms. That's one of the many things I love about Kathy. And yet, you know, things that I say could be labeled exactly, you know, oh, that's inspiring. It's mm-hmm. so strong. But if Kathy says it, depending on the context of the group, it's like, oh, that's just a woman being emotional, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's interesting how even just where we're coming from as the challenger can influence the way that our challenge is being received. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. It, it is. It's hard in this realm of saying we want to challenge, we want to disrupt and un- unsettle. It, it's a it's a two way street in terms of the difficulty. Mm-hmm. It's you know, on the one hand, it's hard to be the recipient of challenge, whether yeah. that's cultural, you know, lifestyle, theological, whatever. But it's also hard to be the voice of challenge in, a, in an actual real way. I think there's a way to fake it a little bit, <laughs> um, but to actually like go after some certain things. It's tough. You risk relationships. Mm-hmm. You risk relationships. And then you, I, I get this way, especially coming from an organizational perspective, but even personally, I question, am I really the voice that needs to be mm-hmm. heard here or needs to be speaking here? First couple of podcasts, I don't, I don't remember which episode it was. We did mention a bit about um, carbon offsets and mm-hmm. and carbon emissions and, and global warming and all that sort of stuff. And to some degree, I question, does, does Uncharted as a missions organization really have... <laughs> much of a say here but the reality is yeah Mm -hmm. i mean we travel a lot we we did (laughs) (laughs) it was in the before times (laughs) we travel a lot and and we were you know emitting a lot of carbon doing so and we do that even sitting here now running the air conditioning and having a comfortable place and um do we have a voice in that? Yeah, probably. We have a very unique voice in that. And to not shy away from that just because that's not our main focus as an organization is a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from that broader, more nebulous perspective, when we do this, we are affecting people. Right. Mm-hmm. When we buy plastic, we affect people because that doesn't go away. Yeah. When we travel overseas and emit a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere, to do good things, yes, but we are affecting other people right in the long term. And yeah. so to be able to address those things and to not shy away from them maybe takes a little bit of contextualization in your own brain, but we got to be the voices for these mm-hmm. things. That kind of just makes me think of before you can really be comfortable with challenging and pushing, you have to deal with your insecurity mm-hmm. in terms of um, do I really know what I'm talking about? Like you, like you were saying, is this the place for me? And that, that in and of itself is really, really hard. Again, maybe made worse in Christian cultures when it's like, we need to be humble. Mm-hmm. We need to be meek. Uh, we need to be submissive, but only if you're a woman. So like there are, it's not just this one thing about how like I, I'm going to step up and I'm going to lead the charge and I'm going to confront people and I'm going to call out injustice and sin. There is a lot of stuff that gets wrapped up into it. Yeah. Would you guys consider yourself like comfortable and open to to being challenged, like being pushed? Are there areas maybe that are easy in that or like things that like when do your defenses kind of slam up, slam shut, slam in a a specific (laughs) direction? direction. (laughs) That's a tough question to answer. I don't I don't think I'm particularly comfortable with it. I don't think I've ever been challenged on some something and and been like, man, that was really comfortable <laughs> uh, or easy. But as somebody who tries to do a lot of internal work to make sure that my the things that I do and the way I interact with people and and how I live my life, I have to be open to it. So yeah, I, I would say I'm open to it, but it's never comfortable or easy. You're never looking forward to it. No, I'm not looking. I'm not asking for people to to. You're not asking point just out open, flaws. open feedback, Please anybody? don't. <laughs> um, Our next episode will feature. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's talk about Noah and all of his faults. Yeah, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I might not have to, I might not be the producer next episode. Um, 
there are countless times where I've been challenged on things and it's made me a far better person because I've been willing to sit in that uncomfortable place. I've been willing to listen at how my actions have affected other people. And I think that's where it's hardest is when somebody points out, hey, this isn't just you, it's everyone else. Mm-hmm. It's not just you doing something stupid and affecting your life. It's everyone else that you're affecting the process or, hey, you're affecting me specifically. And uh, that's hard because it, it removes the sort of individualization and autonomy from that. that. Oh, my decisions are bigger than just me. And that can be really challenging. I grew up in a very, I would, uh, not just my family, not my immediate family so much, but kind of the Christian culture I grew up in was what we would now label as pretty fundamental and legalistic. And so I would say that for a good while, I did not, I did not deal well with being challenged because I saw most of life as very black and white and felt very threatened when, when somebody had a, you know, a viewpoint that was different than mine and was challenging. And I felt a deep sense of conviction that what I believe is, is right, you know, and, and it wasn't coming from necessarily depths of research and personal understanding. It was just, well, this is what I grew up with. Yeah. And so I think for a long time, I didn't handle change and challenge well at all. I would like to believe, I, and I actually, I, I say this with genuine humility, that I do think now that that's changed actually pretty radically in my life. And I do think that that is, has been a work of the, of the spirit, honestly, is just, and I, the way I say it's a work of the spirit is because it's, it's only the spirit that can produce the type of humility that's necessary to receive change, like change and challenge in a healthy way. And I think that there's a lot of change and challenge that, that I've personally gone through over the last, I'll say decade plus, um, that I am really thankful for. And now I've come to a place where by and large, I really actually do enjoy being challenged in my perceptions and beliefs. And there's a lot more, a lot more that I hold so loosely than what I used to. And maybe to answer your question more specifically, when I think the hardest time I have in terms of being challenged or disagreement with my perspective is more in the type of reaction that a person has. So like if someone's super aggressive in their objection to me or in their challenge to me, it's not even like the content that they're saying, but more the posture. Mm -hmm. And because one of my faults is I'm a fighter, if I feel like someone is just trying to pick a fight, then I'll fight. Even if I end up like secretly agreeing with what they're (laughs) saying. Um, So that's when I have the hardest time is more just the approach, not so much the, the fact not that the my, content. right. Yeah. I, I still want to hear Emily, you're, I thought I was going to get out of this question. No, you're not going to get out of it, but we got to come back to it. Cause Ben, you said something that was interesting that I think is really important for this discussion, especially as it, as it regards to the conversation around race is that you felt in your earlier days, you would have felt threatened mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And obviously every situation is different when you talk about, feeling threatened when you're being confronted with some sort of religious disagreement or Mm -hmm. theological disagreement. It's one thing if it's being calling out the racism that you have within yourself or the, the ways that you've been complicit, like that's a whole different Mm -hmm. kind of threatened, but it, it does come to the same word. And I'm, I'm wondering what do we feel threatened by when we feel that? I think, and maybe this is because I've been writing a lot about, the idea of identity for unsettled collective recently. But for me, whenever I, I, you know, get some of that feeling of like, I've been threatened. It's like my whole concept of who I am as a person is, is being questioned and it becomes, well, if I'm not this, if I'm not this political party, if I'm not this sort of specific theological belief, then I don't actually know what that is. And that that's something that people, or maybe I specifically 
end up fighting against because I get really attached to this idea that I like who I am for the most part. Like, I think I'm right (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) Like, everybody thinks they're right, you know? Um, And so, like, I, you know, intentionally create myself to be this thing that I really want to be, or at least I have an ideal that I aspire to be. And then when someone comes in and kind of pokes holes in it or says, actually, this is wrong, actually, you shouldn't do this, or this whole thing that you kind of built your identity on, then it just becomes like, oh, I'm now I'm totally lost in mm-hmm. every everything seems confusing. It's not just this one Jenga piece you pulled out. It's mm-hmm. kind of sent the whole tower down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with the identity piece. And then I would say on top of that, there's also like not the concern or the fear about my own identity, but also our identity or the our image of God. So like in the faith realm, when you lay on top of, you know, in this podcast, we're people of faith and most of our listeners are people of faith. So you have your own personal identity realm that Emily, you explained really well. But then on top of that, when I think about say like certain theological issues and when I referenced back in my teens and twenties feeling threatened, a lot of them existed in the theological realm. And I think because I've, the reason why I felt so threatened is because I felt so strongly that like, well, but but this is what I believe God's word says. And if if that's not true, then what does that mean about my perception of who God is and realizing today how I had created such a, like I had created God in my image. I had created God into this image that I wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. And anybody who threatened that image of God or anybody who threatened that version of what it means to belong to God, that scared me. Mm-hmm. And and I and coming to a point where can God survive that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, can God survive um the the necessary areas of my life where I need to have dismantled some wrong perceptions and some wrong understandings or or maybe not even wrong but just at least limited, you right. know. Um, and to realize, well, yeah, actually God can survive that. Like God, God can survive when people challenge what I think about X, Y, or Z in scripture or outside of scripture, realizing it's not my job to defend God in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to be angry at people when they believe different things about God and yeah. I can hear them and I can listen. I can, I can disagree with them, yeah. mm-hmm. but I don't have to be angry about it. And I don't have to yeah. feel scared about it as if like God is going to run away or, you know, disappear or something. I don't know. So yeah, it's so yeah, I'm rambling, but I think it's like there, there's the threat to the personal identity that we are afraid of. And then maybe more in the theological realm, there's a threat to like, this identity of that we've created of who God is in our mind. And when you threaten that with a different theological idea, I get afraid. Emily, you're not going to get out of the question that you asked oh, us. Man. I mean, it's my question, so I should have thought about my answer to it. Probably. Um, I, I really, really love being challenged in like spiritual theological ways. And I hate being challenged in every other way, (laughs) 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 but I, I, at some point I decided that like I was either going to be a Christian or not. Like I was going to take it really seriously or it's not important at all. Like I think there's a CS Lewis quote that's something like if Christianity is real, it's the most important thing. And if it's not real, then like, who cares? You know, it's nothing. Um, and so I just, I decided like, well, I could be afraid of the questions that I have and try to avoid people trying to sway me one way or the other, or I could like try to answer them or at least figure out what potential answers would be. And so like, I, I think with spirituality and with theology, that's, I think the only thing I intentionally look for things I disagree with to read and like to hear about. Because I really want to know, and I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid. This is kind of what you're talking about, Ben. Like, I'm not going to be afraid of being proven wrong. I'm not going to live in fear that that's going to happen. And so, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to look. Mm-hmm. I love reading people's stories who've 
deconverted, I guess, who have left uh, faith. I love I love people who join cults and <laughs> figuring out why they do that and um, what they believe. And it's not, I mean, it's not usually fun in a lot of ways. Um, like it gets really scary and dark because there are times when you don't realize this is, oh, I've actually thought this way about God yeah. my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that was the one thing that I thought maybe I was right on. And what if I'm not? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're like lost at sea. But I think the more that I've, the more I'm willing to look, the more there is to find mm-hmm. is not comfortable place to live <laughs> in a lot of ways. Well, and I think it creates, like as you were talking about just some of the scariness of looking and, and um, I don't know, like just you created this imagery that it feels like the more we actually go about that, it's actually creating an environment where faith can actually flourish more. Mm. Yeah. And I've had recent conversations with someone who has pretty much left, left their faith and it's just interesting to me how the introduction of doubt and the introduction of of confusion and swirl and challenge and push can cause people to leave faith. But there's such a fine line that actually I think it's those very things that allow our faith to actually be faith. Like mm-hmm. it, it's like the actual definition of the word, you yeah. know, is... Yeah. It's not, is it really faith? If there's not doubt, if there's not question, right. if there's not swirl, if there's not for sure, you know, why did this person leave their faith and mm-hmm. go, you know, do this and that? I mean, that's when faith thrives. And I think that comes from reactions to that questioning and that doubt. When you feel like I have these questions, I have these doubts, I'm uncovering and discovering a lot of things that I used to believe or I thought I believed or I believed one way and I feel completely different about it now. It's the perception that I have to have X, Y, or Z beliefs to be this one thing. And if not, I'm out. And that can weigh really heavy on, I mean, I think to to some degree, we've all, the three of us, Mm -hmm. (laughs) have gone through some sorts of deconstructive journeys Mm -hmm. through our faith. And there are people who would say, well, no, some of the things that you've deconstructed, you know, that that's kind of, you took that off the table. That means everything's off the table, Mm -hmm. but that's coming from their perspective and their reaction to what we're working through and what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And the idea of quote, this is what the church believes or sanctions, I think is where some people and you've, we've all looked at the stories and seen the stories of different important figures that have, quote, left their faith. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that they've left a more common idea of faith mm-hmm. behind. Yeah. They've left a faith. Yeah, they've left a common idea or a, a faith behind in search of or right. in order to find something yeah. that feels more true. And then you have people say, well, that's not God, that's not scripture, you know, that then you're just watering it all down to find something that fits for you. But the reality is none of us know. And mm-hmm. we're, you know, we've got a Methodist church and a Lutheran church and an evangelical church and a Catholic, and they all believe different things. Mm-hmm. And now we're all sort of, a lot of people are going through these sorts of questions and, and, and digging to find, you know, what is core to my belief and what, what is core to me that's important for me to get to sustain this relationship. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. think many people go on this journey to be like, I'm going to go on this journey (laughs) so that I will (laughs) leave the church and it gives me a justification for it. Maybe there are people out there that do that, but I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. It's usually something doesn't feel right. And so I'm going to go on a journey to find some, to find why it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and what I need to do out of that. Yeah. And that's hard. Even even statistically and anecdotally, like when I first entered ministry, uh, you know, about 20 years ago now, I guess the the big statement that was being revealed at that time was how there had been a shift in, in the young generation at that time that it used to be 
people were leaving the church because they were leaving their faith. But the switch was, to your point, Noah, people were leaving the church in order to find their faith. Mm-hmm. And that was like just a, a pretty important pivot in our in our nation's culture and certainly in the faith landscape. Um, and just in the way that what does that mean for how we do ministry and how we do discipleship and how we lead people? And if they're if actually one of the main reasons why younger generations are leaving the church is to find their faith and express their faith, what does that mean for us, for churches today? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I just, I have a profound memory of that coming into ministry 20 years ago, that being a pretty big shift. I remember, I think I was in high school or college and the first time I really heard this verse in like Philippians two, that says like, work out your faith and fear and trembling I just remember being like so relieved because <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, like it huh. it can be hard or yeah, like it's work yeah, or it's yeah. serious. And it's being like, oh, this isn't supposed to be easy. Right. This is something I have to do on purpose and it's something that's hard. And it's just, it's freeing in a way to be like, oh, I can, mm-hmm. this is something I'm supposed to work out. This isn't mm-hmm. something I'm just given and try to protect and maintain my whole life. You know, mm-hmm. it, faith isn't like some like, clean piece of paper that mm. is just like, I just need to protect it from anything that might ruin it or mm. scratch it or rip it. It's like, it's actually a whole mm. different concept. That's probably not, I can't put into a metaphor. Mm. Yeah. That's good though. That, that's a really important point. I think. Yeah. Personally, I've never felt super um, convinced maybe by all the kind of apologetics, logical proofs um, that are supposed to, to prove that the Bible is true, Christianity is real. And I think it's it's probably something like that. And acknowledging part of that is just like my personality. Plenty mm-hmm. of people love that kind of stuff. But it becomes a much more mysterious, emotional, vague, philosophical, if I can say that without being too pretentious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to check. <laughs> we'll run it by the, the judges and yeah. see. Yeah, it I think I think a lot of my faith journey and what a lot of people are going through now in this whole kind of trend or phase of deconstruction is understanding what mystery really is and mm-hmm. how to be comfortable living in that and believing in something that is a mystery that I will never understand. As soon as I think I understand it, I you guys need to challenge me on that because something is something is off. Mm-hmm. Noted. <laughs> so really the the point, I guess, of this whole idea that we need to be open to being challenged, being pushed, is that eventually with some things we're going to have to change, whether it's our behavior or our opinions or whatever. Um, and we've spent like 45 minutes talking about how much it sucks to be challenged. And that is nothing compared to like actually changing <laughs> or mm-hmm. or admitting that you're changing. So I was wondering uh, if you guys have done that. <laughs> if we your mind. Yeah. No, well, never. I'm really solid in right. all of my beliefs and opinions. Right. And Every day. Yeah. Well, change. it's funny because I, I change my mind all the time. Right. <laughs> I, I, I love changing my mind. So it's not, there are things that I, that would like kind of prickle if I had to yeah. admit like I'm, like I was wrong about that and now I need right. to be it. And I think changing my behavior is again, something different entirely, right. Right. but um, it's hard to change our minds out loud. Yeah. A lot of times are there, do you guys have issues where like, <laughs> do you guys have issues? <laughs> no. Um, are there, yes. are there things mm. that you can think of that were like, you're just 180 complete opposite. Mm-hmm. What is it Ben? Uh, Noah actually walked me through probably one of the most profound changes of my life. Wow. Was it was, coffee? Yes. <laughs> I, you such a cop out. Dang uh, it. That is a real answer. That's um, true though. But I'll give another, I'll give another answer. <laughs> so honestly, I mean, and this kind of goes back to what I intimated earlier. There's, I would say in my life, um, plenty of change in multiple realms, but theologically those come to my mind the quickest. 
um, just some of the ways that I've changed. And, and I, I don't want to list them all out because I feel like a lot of them deserve mm-hmm. time. more time yeah. to explain. But I would say, one, I'm comfortable saying that has been significant. And I'm comfortable saying it because I know people will disagree with me. Um, I'm okay with them disagreeing. even And if we get emails about it, I'm comfortable responding to those. Ben at unchartedinternational.org. <laughs> Um, but like women in ministry and leadership roles in the church. Um, if you had asked me 20 years ago where I stood on that, it's very different than where I stand today. And that, that was through a lot of, a lot of experience, but then also I would say like just a lot of study and education as well. So for me, it shifted from change just based off of emotion and experience to actually really engaging in a lot of study around it. Mm-hmm. So that that's been certainly maybe not the most significant change, but um, that represents a, a significant change for me in the theology realm. Yeah. I think for me, if, if I went in theology realm, nothing would be a complete 180 mm-hmm. turn for me. Uh, like a little bit of background. I, I grew up in the Catholic church, but really didn't, express much of my faith throughout a lot of my teen early yeah teen years early 20s and joined sort of the evangelical fold of things but always was a little bit on the outside looking in never really dove into a lot of what would be a lot of traditional mainstream evangelical beliefs have always been a bit more on the progressive edge but have never really expressed a lot of those things especially Mm. when i was when i was young in Mm. my faith and just starting out that journey um just avoid those sort of discussions Mm. for fear that somebody would tell you you're not really a christian which is a horrible response to (laughs) just about anybody um but that's not the point of this conversation so i would say a lot of the things like you know women in leadership or um we could pull up any number of hot button issues. I love them all. Um, <laughs> um, I've always been more toward the progressive edge of that. Um, and any sort of change wouldn't have been a complete turnaround, but rather just a slight redirection or a slight, mm-hmm. you know, move one way or the other. But I would say it, it, if I were to look at it personally, one change that I think I've made more recently that I would say is a bit more of a 180 is viewing um, past relationships that are no longer um, instead of viewing them as failures, mm-hmm. like which bases them around the idea of marriage as the only successful mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, uh, I view a lot more of my former relationships as successful, but they just didn't end up with mm-hmm. me being married to that person. Right. And I think there's a lot of, um, it comes from this idea of conscious relationships, but it, there's a lot of good that comes from that mm. um, where you can think about your past relationships in a much more positive light. Mm. Think about all that it brought your to your life. Acknowledge the things that were wrong or the things that didn't go well or just the bad timing of it all mm. and move forward saying this person was a really good person and they were good for me and they were good in my life. They helped me grow in these ways. Mm. And now we're at, we're going different directions, but that doesn't mean anything about the relationship was a failure. Mm. Um, it's good. And it's been great to view things that way. Mm-hmm. I feel less, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, I guess I just feel less fatalistic about the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm. It's just like these relationships mattered. Mm-hmm. These people mattered, and so I should give them the respect that they deserve yeah. in my life. Yeah, even if, e- even if it didn't look like quote success from right. the only idea of a relationship that we feel worth talking about mm-hmm. in the church, oftentimes, mm-hmm. and marriage has mm-hmm. to be this big thing, and and dating is super important, and mm-hmm. successful relationships happen without marrying the end goal. So. Mm-hmm. That's been that's a cool. m- more recent and probably bigger shift, but it's been really freeing and yeah. good. So it's cool. I I grew up going to church. My entire extended family is all Christians, and my 
great grandpa was like a pastor or something missionary. It's in the blood. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the lateral family way. Um, so I grew up in a evangelical Christian culture just normally. And I, I never heard people say like, you, you can't do something because you're a girl and my, my parents, my family never brought this up, never made me feel that way. But just the general teaching is like, well, men are pastors and women are not. I never saw a woman pastor, um, I think maybe once there was a woman who taught in big church um, with her husband, you know, not, mm-hmm. not on her own, never. Yeah. Um, and then in, in high school, I was really into youth group and I loved it. And it was really important to like my faith journey, but that's where you talk about relationships and that's where you talk about like boys and girls. And we like went through the scriptures that are saying like women or wives submit to your husbands and this is what your role is going to be. And this is what leadership looks like at a church and it's men. And you're just going to have to like accept that. And that, um, it wasn't ever something that like made me angry in a way because it's like, well, I don't want to be a pastor anyway. So like, it's fine. Like I did want to be married and I wanted to, you know, be a wife and, if my husband was as great as he was supposed to be, it'd be fine to submit to him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you make it so easy for me to submit it's to like, you. Hey, all, all you have to do is love me like Christ loved the church, right? And then, oh, man. <laughs> then it's oh, fine. Man. But I think there's another podcast episode coming out soon. <laughs> it's going to be you and Kathy sitting down together, <laughs> oh, hashing out I those problems so. with Emily being the moderator for it because <laughs> it's going to be so good. Yeah. Well, I started like living more life and I learned things about people who taught me that kind of stuff and some of their views on who God actually is. And that didn't make sense to me anymore. And so then I started questioning, well, why should I listen to them tell me about who I'm allowed to be if they, you know, kind of believe these, I don't want to say hateful, but like hurtful things about people. Right. And then I, I went to a Christian college where I learned a lot. I took what five Bible classes or like Christian classes. And my professors were all pretty great um, in terms of saying, Hey, actually there are ways to interpret the Bible, like as in more than one way. And here's what different translations can mean. And um, kind of opening my mind to not just this idea that like uncertainty is present and okay, but just like, you don't have to, well, have to is not a great way, but like if somebody is teaching you something that feels wrong, you can question that and you can think, well, it feels wrong. Maybe it is wrong. And I went to a church that had a woman preacher and every time she would teach on Sunday, the lead pastor would have to introduce her mm-hmm. <laughs> and he would say, okay, today Jessica's going to preach. Jessica is a woman. Uh, but the Holy, she, how do they say it? Like the Holy spirit has called her to teach and to be a pastor. And I'm not going to tell the Holy spirit that he's wrong. So Jessica's going to preach today and she would preach. It's interesting that they had to qualify it that way. Every single time. Do you think they did that to like, was that a way that they were trying to educate their people on their stance of that issue or? Well, they were, they were were an alliance church. Oh, they were trying to protect themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think in a in a lot of ways, it was a smallish, like kind of hipster church in between two uh, prominent Christian colleges. So I had a really great, empowering, if I can say that word, it feels kind of corny to me, experience, um, and really kind of challenged me to be like, well, why do I feel weird if there's a woman teaching on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Because it was so different to me. Um, and just not having to answer the question, like even when they introduced her, they wouldn't say, here are our bylaws. Here's like where we're pointing to, to say she is able to be a preacher. They just said, Hey, she's called. I don't know what to Mm -hmm. do with it, but I'm not going to say no. Mm -hmm. Right. And then just as I've matured, I guess, as a person, I lived life and I've met a lot of women who are extremely smart and who are really yeah. qualified. Like mm-hmm. Carolyn Edwards has been on our podcast. She's mm-hmm. one of my friends. She's 
a chaplain. She's been to seminary. Mm -hmm. She's incredibly great in pastoral roles. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I can't accept that she is not qualified Mm -hmm. or that any man is more qualified than her. Maybe that's it. Um, And I think the the more life you live and the more people you meet, you just kind of realize that that kind of like one size fits all just doesn't work. Like this idea of a, like a church where a man is at the head and all of the elders are men and they're controlling everything and they're doing it. Like, I don't know that that is just inherently wrong, you know? Yeah. That idea isn't, isn't bad, but when you look at real life and you look at, the types of men that get involved and what actually happens when, when women aren't represented and Mm -hmm. what happens when women are, are kept down and looked over and passed over because of their gender. Like that's when things stop making sense to me. So then it's like, well, I guess I have to be pro women leadership because I'm definitely can't be against it anymore. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will like say things that are very opinionated and realize like, Oh, I did not know I felt that strongly about it. Yeah. I think we've noticed that in staff meetings before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Every once in a while I'll be like, Emily, what are you thinking? Yeah. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let's backtrack. That's, I mean, really cool to hear. Yeah. Really interesting to hear yeah. from that perspective. Cause I think, I mean, it's a completely different experience that's than, right. than, yeah. than me and Ben. Yeah. I had one that was, um, more uncharted related Mm. and it was last year going to central asia Mm. and i wouldn't say it was a dramatic shift Mm -hmm. but there's something about sitting on a plane with somebody who your entire life again growing up you know 2001 i was 11 years old Mm -hmm. you grow up and the media has sort of this painted picture of what a terrorist looks like or Mm -hmm. what the taliban looks like and to go and sit on a plane next to somebody who's just wearing what they nor- wear in everyday life and normal everyday life. And you're like kind of clenched holding onto the, the seat and thinking, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. This guy's flying from Dubai to his home city. He's just trying to get home to mm-hmm. see his family. And, and my brain can't take out this image mm-hmm. in my head that American media has put forth because that's, the only time we ever talk about that area of the world is when something terrible happens yep. and you go there and you meet these people and they offer you tea and food and everything that you could ever yep. want or need. And you don't, you don't need any of it, but they're willing to invite you into their homes and mm-hmm. talk to you. And it just destroys that mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it, yeah. it just it's, takes it completely. Yeah. Away. I mean, it, it's still there. And I remember remember flying out mm-hmm. <laughs> and still being like, okay, mm-hmm. being on edge about it. And then coming back and processing through, why did I even feel that way? Yeah, It's the only Im- image I've ever had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I mean, it's cool to hear that. And I yeah. think, you know, that's one of the things I love about <clears throat> seeing people engage with other cultures around the world mm-hmm. is just how it how it does challenge so much it reveals yeah. and challenges mm-hmm. so many of our preconceptions and for me the first the first time i had an experience like that was when i was 17 graduated high school went to 3 days of university this was upper midwest realized i was not like i did not want to do that dropped out moved to new and lived there for a year and i attended this little place this little college and I was the only American and it was so cool to be around other cultures that were Mm -hmm. completely different from me Mm -hmm. and to have so many of my own stereotypes just pushed and blown apart um, in good ways so it's cool to hear that that's been your experience I think when we think of like change and even challenge and stuff we we kind of look at it at this way of okay, well, I believe one thing. Now I have to switch and believe the opposite. Like right now, like we're going to have a debate and I'm going to change your mind in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just talking about our experiences with things we've 
we've debated on, it looks a lot more like maturing or it looks a lot more like relationships than it does mm-hmm. uh, like a competition government Right. Uh, meeting, you know, I, <laughs> right, I wasn't right. in debate club, but I did comp gov. So that was my, <laughs> that was my pull for it. Um, yeah. And so I think even, even when we are being challenged, it's not about, um, I'm being attacked. I'm being threatened. I'm being told I'm wrong. And I have to like f- flip a switch and mm-hmm. do everything. And it's also when we're talking to somebody else, we're, we're challenging them. We can't go in with this idea that, I'm going to realize I'm going to make them realize they're wrong and then they're going to be right from then on. Mm -hmm. It is a longer, Mm -hmm. more difficult, but richer process. Mm -hmm. So friends, may the spirit and all his gentleness make you quick to listen to the voices of the oppressed, the overlooked, the forgotten and slow to speak your own opinions and solutions over another's experiences. May you take seriously the claims of injustice and live as Jesus did, endeavoring to break bonds and set the beloved free. May you know intimately what it is to bear with one another in love and to shoulder burdens that are not your own. May God reveal to you the divine humanity that is present in those you disagree with and see them as your siblings rather than your opponents. We are members of the same harmonious body of Christ in which we belong to all the others. Forgive and be forgiven, clothed in the compassion, kindness, and humility of God's chosen people. Though our faith may be tested by fire, may God reveal it as gold being refined, and be unafraid of the questions and challenges that come. In this way, let's live in His grace, treating others as gently as the Father treats us, as holy and beloved, as we walk harmoniously in the mystery of our faith.